You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Pru. Well, I'm back in the studio, and uh, I realized that last podcast that I um, got to do all that housekeeping that Andre does, telling people to, you know, sign up and get involved on iTunes, and um, anyway, that's, that's beside the point. I have stopped the sausage party uh, by having yet another woman in today. Uh, as I mentioned last time, Andre, um, when he, uh, when I was away in Australia and New Zealand, he had a bunch of gentlemen in, and I have decided to make uh, women the focus this time. So, uh, I am Michael Pincus of MichaelPincusWineReview.com. The missing factor in this of the two guys is Andre of AndreWineReview.ca. And with me today is Morgan Juniper. Just like the berry. Just like the berry. Yeah. And Morgan, the interesting part about Morgan is she has not been here very long. I don't mean in the world. Uh, I mean in Ontario. Yes. Just uh, over almost two years ago. You came I, back. I came back. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what brings you here. And, and first of all, where are you? Well, I am the winemaker and general manager at 16 Mile Cellar. Um, and yeah, I've, I, I recently probably was August this past August, 2018, I uh, started at 16 mile and I took over Reagan's position. So Reagan Kapach was the previous winemaker and she, uh, moved out West. I met her at, I was working at Pearl Morissette. I've, I came back from overseas a couple of years ago. So I was working as the assistant winemaker at Pearl Morissette and I'd met Reagan through a couple of the bench uh, industry tastings, the Shard tasting, the Pinot tasting for the uh, winemakers. And when Reagan knew she was leaving 60 miles, she called me up and we kind of, it all happened like very that. Quickly. And very quickly, very, very quickly. So Reagan moved off to? Uh, Calgary, she's from there. Um, she's exited the industry and she's now restoring uh, antique furniture. Usually it's the other way around. Somebody comes from antique furniture, <laughs> yeah. they're like, I don't want to go into winemaking. But she obviously yeah. did it the opposite way. Yeah. And um, so you come to us via, you're originally from Ontario, correct? Yeah, I'm from uh, Southern Georgian Bay. So actually my parents uh, live, I would say, five kilometers from Coffin Ridge Winery up in uh, near Annan. So, uh, so have you visited Coffin Ridge? Oh yeah, absolutely. So you met Steve Byfield, met, the winemaker? Yeah, he's a great guy, great guy. So you met Steve, you've got a Coffin Ridge. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay, so you, you've done that. Now, Georgian Bay, then then what do you do? So, well, I was, yeah, from Georgian Bay, I uh, was studying, I st went to school in London, Ontario, and I was studying business marketing. And we talked about that. We went to, uh, I went to Fanshawe, you yeah. went to Fanshawe, I went for radio broadcasting. Obviously, we would not have crossed paths in any way, shape, or form, because no. you're much younger than I am. <laughs> but anyway... So, yeah, Fanshawe for business. Yeah, and then I worked uh, for my dad's company for about a year. And What does dad do? Uh, he owns a, um, a, a software streaming service. It's, they do music, music video, and digital marketing services for entertainment centers. Did you, did you like working for dad? Um, well, I didn't really directly work for him, uh, so I think that made it very easy, but I knew that... Uh, after working in, in marketing and sales that I was just craving something a bit different, a bit more creative um, and a bit more hands-on. And so 
what I ended up doing was I thought, okay, I'd like to also travel the world, but I don't want to just grab a backpack and travel like a, you know, 20 year old hippie. Um, so I decided to get more experience in wine so I could travel and work. Um, I'd met some people who were working as uh, sommeliers and they had gone all over the world working in different restaurants. And I thought, oh, I'll do that. And then a friend of mine said, you should do the Niagara College program because it is, uh, will cost you almost the exact same amount as if you were to, you know, do your WSED or your, uh, the sommelier guild. Mm. Um, and so I decided to do that, and which I'm so thankful I did because that really brought me into the world of production, viticulture, and I fell in love with that. I did my practicum at Taz with Paul Pender, and uh, that was in the vintages, I think, 2011, 2012. And uh, after I graduated, I was working at Taz full-time for about six months, and then I ended up getting a, a job as an assistant winemaker right away overseas in Australia. Nice. So it's, I think a big reason for that is a reason why I got that position was because um, I decided to specialize my interests in biodynamics and organics. Uh, so specifically biodynamic viticulture and organic winemaking. Um, and because of that, uh, I got this great opportunity in Australia where they were looking for somebody who wanted to be an assistant winemaker, but was also, uh, they, they were looking for somebody who had experience in biodynamics or at least a passion for it uh, because they were looking to get uh, certified through uh, the Biodynamic Agriculture Association of Australia through AGC or the ACO. Um, and yeah, so long story short, I was their girl. They flew me over, sponsored me on a work visa, and I worked for them for for Low Wines. It's in Mudgy. And you um, happen to have brought a bottle of Low Wines, and this is one that you actually made yourself. Maybe. Yeah, so I was there for the... Uh, I, I got there in 2013, and then uh, the near the end of 13. There we go. We'll crack it open, check it out. You can tell it's Australian because it's a screw cap. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so 14 was my first vintage there. Okay, so you said you haven't tried this wine since you made it. Mm -hmm. And what, now Pinot Gris in Australia, that's not a, that's no. not usual. No, so, um, well, I've tried this wine once since I've made it in Australia, but I haven't tried it. And that would have been in, right after we bottled it. So, uh, yeah, but I haven't tried it since, so this should be pretty interesting. All right, so I'm, I'm, looking, at the, I'm looking at the color. I'm seeing a, a little bit of, uh, uh, of, uh, of darkness. Mm -hmm. Let's call it that. Um, so there is some color to it. Did you do anything to create that color? So the really, this, it's kind of a nice segue into kind of introducing what the wine is about and the spirit of it because um, it, it's from Low Wines, which is again in Mudgee, which is a, a it's its own DVA, but it's also kind of known as the upper arm of the Hunter Valley. Uh, the climate's totally different than Hunter Valley, but geographically it's very close um, and uh, they have a couple vineyards, Low Wines does, but the the one vineyard called the Nello Mountain Vineyard, it is literally a, um, I believe it's eight acres uh, under vine in the middle of a, uh, a national park, essentially. Okay. It's private land owned on the top of this Nello Mountain, not really a mountain, it's, it's essentially the foothills of the Great Dividing Range. It's a, it's a, it's a little hill yeah, yeah well it's it's the second i'm told the second highest vineyard in australia okay so very high elevation uh 
that hence why we were able to make a Pinot Gris. Uh, so we, we planted up there. They have Pinot Grigio, Riesling, Chardonnay, uh, Pinot Noir, and Sauvignon Blanc. So is the color from skin contact? Yeah, so the Nello Mountain is actually about a hour and 20 minute drive from the winery. Uh, that's because the road going, the 25 kilometer road going up to the mountain takes about 45 minutes okay. just to get up there. Um, the winding roads? Yes, okay. uh, and if you are like me and you get any, uh, if you easily get motion sickness, the drive up there is hell. Okay. Um, is it slow for you? Or is it... It's just really windy and very, very gravelly and very are you a bumpy. a bicycle person? Would you have bicycled that? No, I would have never biked that because there are so many deadly snakes and you see them on the roads, crossing the roads, and it's just, I would never have biked up that road. But uh, so what's really special about this vineyard is because it's not surrounded by other vineyards. It has a very distinct microclimate and um, it's it snows in the winter. So it is it is essentially they like the Australians like to call it a cool climate yes. uh, wine. I, I, was there, I was there and they were tell, telling me about cool climate. Yeah, exactly. So um, but the what, what you're saying about maceration, um, it they're handpicked, they're handpicked Pinot Gris uh, put in the truck. But by the time it gets to the winery, you know, sometimes it doesn't get there for about three. They they become macerated in the journey itself. Okay. Uh, so they're pretty, uh, the, they're not really uh, perfect whole bunches anymore by the time they arrive to the, to the winery. Um, for this vintage, we actually crushed and distemmed it and then uh, left it in the press for six hours and then pressed it. Got it. So, uh, now not many people will hold a Pinot Gris for, for four years. No. So, this is this is pretty unique onto itself. So, let's give it a shot, I guess. I'll be honest, I don't know how many Pinot Gris I've actually had from from Australia. Right, I know. I thought that would be a good one to bring. That's, uh, that, that's pretty unique. Yeah. I got a little petrol on the nose, which was weird. Yeah, I mean, um, it... We have Riesling up there too, and it's funny. I tried it, it's a late harvest Riesling we did in 14, and uh, I was just thinking it has a very similar nose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's uh, surprisingly, you know, a Pinot Gris, you would think four years, no way it'd be dead, there's no reason to have it. But, um, well, it's funny on the back of the bottle, even I was re reading it before I came here, and uh, David Lowe, the owner, suggests on the back of the bottle that to drink in 2018 to from 2018 to 2020. So we're right there. We're right there in the middle of where he thinks to, to drink this. Yeah. So that being said, is this the only bottle you have or do you have a few more kicking around the cellar? Of the Pinot Gris? Yeah. No, but um, I am hoping, I, a friend of mine lives in Sydney Okay. and I'm planning on visiting her uh, hopefully next year. And uh, Sydney is about a four hour drive from Mudgee. So I'm hoping next year to go back, which oh. will be great and visit and probably bring home a lot more wine than I oh. did originally. <laughs> uh, so I'm hoping he'll still have some. All right. So we've tried that. That's your past. So now yes. we get into your, I guess, your future, your currents. Mm -hmm. uh, but but a quick segue question to something totally off topic about wine. Okay. Ready? Yep. Cheese or chocolate? If you had to pick one. Oh, that's a tough one for everybody. Oh, no. Um, I would probably say chocolate. chocolate. Oh, you know what, though? Ugh. Should I let you sit on this one? Yeah, yeah. Oh, let me wow. sit on it because there's, I th yeah. Uh, I guess you know what? I'm just gonna go with my gut and say chocolate. I just absolutely love chocolate. I love dark chocolate. I love milk chocolate. I love 
everything about chocolate and I am a chocolate addict. Like, okay. so you so couldn't, couldn't get enough chocolate. I feel you like could I could get enough cheese. I feel like I crave chocolate a lot more than I crave cheese, but I'm always eating cheese. So, okay. <laughs> you know right. I mean? but you're not always eating chocolate. Yeah, All I right. guess. Okay. I'm with you. So back on to what you're doing now. So, um, the fun part here is that I have a 2010 Pinot Noir and mm-hmm. that would have been made, I believe by Thomas Batchelder. And Reagan, is yes. that correct? Or is um, it totally Thomas? You totally Thomas. Um, Reagan came on in 2013. Okay, so this is totally Thomas. Yeah. All right, so we'll check check that out in a bit, or do you want to check it out now? Your choice, or we go to what you're looking at now. You want um, to see the past? Do you want to see the, the future? Let's, yeah, let's check out that 2010 Pinot. We're checking out the past. So it's a mm-hmm. 2010 16-mile cellar uh, in civility. And so the incivility is, why don't you explain the um, levels of wines at 16 miles? See if you've got them right. Yeah. So we've, um, what they, what they've done traditionally is uh, we do a label called the Rebel Pinot Noir and the Rebel Chardonnay. And then we have the incivility Pinot Noir and the civility Chardonnay. So the concept behind the civility and incivility of both Pinot and Chard are uh, a barrel selection. So we, Thomas and I know us, Reagan definitely, um, small batch ferments often with the um, like clone ferment. So yes, it's all Pinot Noir, but you know, we have seven different clones of it in the vineyard. So uh, we're very careful about bringing all of that in, fermenting it separately, keeping the integrity of those clones so we can really uh, hone in on those differences to really tweak blends and make you know make a really great wine um but within that uh we often uh, or they would often stumble upon you know four maybe five in a really good year barrels that kind of stand out not necessarily the best wines always you know uh but wines that really would spark the the curiosity of i wonder if this could handle, you know, extended elevage, or I feel like this wine would do really well with batonnage, with some more lees work. Um, so civility and incivility are really kind of uh, made in the sense of being ex- exploring elevage, pushing the boundaries. Um, so they're often aged longer in oak, uh, whereas the rebels are taken out of oak or traditionally taken out of oak earlier um to promote uh freshness yeah freshness Freshness. freshness freshness um and primary fruit Right. Whereas we're getting the tertiary characters in the civility and incivility, you know, extended aging, uh, batonnage. um, Yeah. Sometimes they're a bit more lifted. Sometimes they're uh, a bit more oxidative. um, Yeah. So have you tasted much of Thomas's wine? Uh, Not just from 16 Mile, but in Ontario? Yes, I have and I've tasted uh, his wine from Oregon, which I I really like. Um, He has great Pinot out there as well. Um, I hear he has a project in France. Is that true? He does have a project in France. He yeah. also has one in Chile. Okay. I yeah. haven't tried either of those. Yeah. but The stuff from Chile should be coming in to Ontario. So he claims. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know. And the stuff from France does materialize every so often, but mostly in Quebec. Okay. But, uh, but have you tried anything uh, older uh, from 16 Mile? No. I've, I haven't tried the 2010 Incivility. Okay. So this is, this is I haven't opened this up since I think the day that I tried it. Originally, so I've just been sitting on it like uh, like I'm hoarding chocolate or something like that. So let's check <laughs> I, it out. I don't hoard chocolate. Mm. <laughs> I just eat it. <laughs> it. Turns out I hoard wine, but anyway. 
So yeah, there's a little bit of funkiness to this wine. But as I say, when you when you open up an old wine, and we basically just opened this up, say, yeah. 10 minutes ago, mm -hmm. um, there's always a bit of funk to a wine. Because if you were locked in a bottle for eight years, you'd be a little cranky, too. Yeah, sometimes you need a bit of time so to time work to. out the edges. Which is funny. I often, I think that it's when people say, oh, should I decant this? Um more, nine times out of ten, I say just open it, like you, you know, what, like we have here. You open it, just put the cork back in, leave it on the counter. Yeah, open it, let it sit. Yeah, just put it in a big glass. I, I, I'm never a huge fan of decanting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm, I'm, I much prefer to watch a wine open up over the course of an evening. Yep. Instead of forcing it to open up. Yeah, that's so. And, and then I think this one does need a little bit of time to open up. I find it, the nose especially right now, is a bit closed. Yeah. So I'm hoping that kind of blossoms a bit. And, and blows off. But I'm telling you, they, we have the 2011 Incivility, which I've tried this past weekend, actually. And uh, it's crazy, the difference. Mm -hmm. 2010, this is, it's still, the tannins are round, it's soft, it's very pretty. Very hot vintage, though, mm -hmm. here in Ontario. So And 11, I believe, was cool and wet. Cool, cool and wet. Uh, 12, another hot vintage. Yeah. 13, cool. 14, cool, wet. Um, I was hand-hoeing um, in the Taz Vineyards, I think, for most of the summer of 2012, so I will always remember that being oh, the... So that prepared you for <laughs> Australia. Yeah, when I got to Australia, I was like, ah, I'm used to this. I just came from 2012 in the summer, hand-hoeing. In Ontario, and they probably went, you what? Yeah, exactly. But they, the humidity is insane here. You know, often yes. people, when I go overseas and pe talk to people about how warm our summers can be in Niagara... They just don't believe me. But when you get here and you experience no 100% humidity on a 32 degree a day, that's 32 yeah. degrees Celsius. You're praying for wet rain. Yeah, you you know it. It happens. It yeah. exists. So a very interesting wine. You know what? We will open that up uh, over the course of of this evening. Um, we may not go back to it here on the podcast, but we'll uh, we, you and I will will explore this wine a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Put it into a nice big glass and see what's going on. But now let's talk about the two wines that you have here. First of all, why don't you tell us where 16 Mile Cellar is located? Because mm -hmm. maybe not a lot of people have been to 16 Mile because you're not open all the time. No, no. So we're we're located between St. Catharines and Jordan. If you're uh, going um, west out of St. Catharines on Highway 8, we're pretty much at the corner of Highway 8 and 11th Street. So that's in the Creek Shores uh, Appalachian. Um we have about, uh, it's about a 24-acre property with 12 acres, uh, give or take, under vinifera, uh, Pinot Noir and Chard only. Uh, on the property, we also have uh, Concords and um, Geisenheim. The, when Susan and Joe bought the property about, I think it was about 12 years ago, um, it was just planted Concords, the whole property. So they built the winery, they built their home, they built the barn, um, and they... <laughs> yeah. Didn't make jam. Well, maybe they did. I, I haven't heard that, but I know they've been, th since they bought the property, the Concords have, uh, are sold to, I believe, Peller. Okay. Um, and the Geisenheim as well. But uh, they didn't rip, you know, they ripped a, a, a fair bit, a, a lot of the Concords out, but they left, I believe, I want to say like three acres of Concords. I mean, some of them are up to 100 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so, the, and that, you know, that's to me like. Hard it, to rip up that kind of history, I guess. Yeah, and it, it speaks, I think, volumes of the intentions of uh, the owners. You know, they want to keep the integrity of the property and um, rather than just try to change the landscape, uh, try to, you know, 
yeah, ma- maintain the integrity of what's already there, but building around it. So is there plans to plant some more stuff on the property that you know of? Um, am, I, am I getting too into the minutia now that you're not allowed to tell anybody? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not it's not a secret. We bought a couple tons of gamay this year because yes. uh, yeah, because Joe and Susan have been uh, talking about planting. Uh, and Joe and Susan are the owners. Just yes. So people oh know yes. Yeah, just to clarify. Joe Groya and Susan Barnacle. Yeah, they're the owners. They're great people. Uh, they're based out of Toronto. Um, but uh, yeah, they're thinking of planting just four or six rows of gamay. But they wanted to, see, you know, they said, "Well, why don't you? Why don't we buy some? Why don't you play with it? Yeah, and play with it, and we'll see what happens." So, um, there's have ta- you worked with gamay before? Um, yes, but not only one, only once, only one vintage. So in in Ontario. Yeah, or, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I can't imagine so. that's a big one in Australia. No, it really isn't. It really isn't. Not while I was there. However, in uh, the Basket Range and. Uh, South Australia, Basket Range, it's like near Adelaide Hills. Okay. A small apple, um, sub-appellation, I suppose, within Adelaide Hills. Uh, they're doing some, they're, a lot of gamays actually coming really? out of there. It's a lot of natural wine in that area. But, um, yes, not, not very much gamay there. And when, uh, after Australia, I was working in uh, Alsace, France for a year as well. So I drank a lot of gamay while I was working there. But I didn't, uh, of course, uh, work with gamay while in Alsace. So now you're going to check it out. You're going to see what's going on. Yeah. Good. All right. So primarily Pinot and Chardonnay, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, that 2010, I think, is opening up a little. I think there's a little floral element that's starting to really come yep. through and a little sour cherry. Uh, typical for Pinot. So in front of us, now these are our wines. Uh, there's a 2015 Civility Chardonnay mm-hmm. and a 2016 Tenacity Pinot Noir unfiltered. Mm-hmm. So did you have much of a hand in making either one of these two wines? No, no. Okay, so I, you're just bringing them along. You want to taste them. I'm just bringing them along. <laughs> want to taste them. Um <laughs> You know, I've I've only worked uh, there since this past August, so how, I don't even know how many months that is. Not very many. Okay. Um, and but I, it was me for the the 2018 vintage is all mine, yeah. so um, that will be my first vintage with 16 mile. Um, but uh, so right now, uh, really, when I'm not in the cellar or uh, processing the fruit or getting ready for bottling, I'm selling wine, and I'm it's kind of fun because I'm getting to sell. T- Wines from Thomas Batchelder. I'm getting to sell wines from Reagan Kapach. I'm getting to well, Reagan did um, a mat leave in 2014, and there was a another female winemaker who did the 14 wine. So it's kind of cool. Like, um, but yeah, none of these are are my wines, and I didn't have a, a hand at all in making or uh, getting them to bottle. But okay, so let's start with the 16, just because we've already been Pinot Noir. Yeah. So we'll just do that. We'll do this the uh, the Burgundian approach, which is always Pinot first and then mm-hmm. Chardonnay. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll throw this in. Tell us a little bit about the Tenacity 2016. So like I had uh, mentioned before, with our wines, we have the Rebels and then the C- Civility and Incivility, which are the barrel selection. And then uh, not every vintage, but um, sometimes we do a Tenacity. Um, and a Tenacity can be a Chardonnay. It can be a Pinot Noir. And tenacity is reserved for the extra special barrel that is kind of a wow barrel. Um, in this particular vintage, 2016, is a single barrel. And uh, Susan and Joe and Reagan just decided they would, uh, I believe it was bottled directly from barrel. And uh, there was no sulfur added, no additives, unfiltered. So this is a natural wine. Okay. And you said you haven't tried this yet. I have not. Okay. So this is a, this is a new one for you. So... 
I gave it a little uh, swirl while and a sniff and a taste while you were uh, talking about it. So, uh, so 16 mile. Um, are they going to be open a little bit more now that you are around? Um, well, certainly uh, we do. It's typically by appointment only, and we're. I'm very flexible with that. You know, when anybody calls or emails. Um, I'm, you know, very, uh, very accommodating. So, for example, this weekend I had a tasting on Saturday, and uh, Saturday night I noticed there was a voicemail, and I um, checked the voicemail, and it was a lady who said, oh, "I'm driving through uh, so- uh, tomorrow. Uh, can I? Are you guys open? No, we're not open, but come on in for a tasting." And you know, I, so pretty flexible with that. But that being said, um, we're going to, we've talked about being open on Saturday and Sunday for drop-in tastings, uh, for the season this coming year or this year, I guess it's 2019 now. It is 2019. (laughs) Unbelievable. Still getting used to that. Um, but typically uh, I'll just say for the record, you can expect, uh, every Saturday from April until Christmas will be open for drop-in tastings. Got it. All right. So I'll let you taste this wine. Yes. And then I can uh, rub it into Andre's nose that he is not going to be able to taste this um, uh, for a bit because he's decided he decided to travel around uh, Europe on his second honeymoon. Now we went to a first honeymoon just after his wedding. Um, they went to Kentucky, and uh, so I was telling somebody that he was on his second honeymoon, and they asked if he was on his second wife. So <laughs> very funny, I guess. Uh, I don't think uh, Anya would find that as funny as I found it at the time. Uh, or as Andre would, but uh, well, no, maybe he's still on his first wife, but second. I, I, honeymoon. I like that second honeymoon. Yeah, so it was Europe this time instead of Kentucky, a little bit further away. Okay. So, what are your thoughts on on the tenacity? Um, I'm actually really surprised. I find it also very delicate. It's mm. like a ballerina. Um, the 2015 tenacity. So in 2015, there was also a a single barrel picked out. Um, actually, no, sorry, that's. That's not true. In 2015, there was... I'm lying to you. I know. In 2015, there was only tenacity made. Uh, there was only, I believe, four barrels that Pinot produced because of those wretched winters. Yeah. So we had the bad winters, which bad obviously, winters. you know, killed off crop. And yeah. If, you, if you're not um, getting a lot of crop, you can't make a lot of wine. Exactly. But uh, there was a double-edged sword to that because although there was a, a you know, a, a, an astronomical amount of loss in the vineyards um, uh, for, for our Pinot... Uh, it was just a complete reduction in yields, but the growing season um, was favorable to that because, you know, although typically there's like 12 to, you know, sometimes 24 bunches on a vine, there was now you know, four to six bunches per vine. Typically, in, a, in a, an average Niagara growing season where it's really wet and humid, you would find those four bunches, the berries would be really big, the very bad flesh to skin ratio. Um, but because uh, 2016 or sorry, 2015 was a, a great year for growing, um, the flesh to skin ratio was great. The uh, Reagan told me the quality was outstanding. Yeah. So, you know, they were able to produce exceptional wine, but very little of it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, 15 is an underrated vintage. I mm-hmm. think everybody is so just blown away. Everybody's like, oh, 16 is going to be great. You know, mm-hmm. you're looking forward to the 16 wines. I really think 15 is that underrated vintage that people should be snapping up wines from and and we'll find that they'll hold very well uh in especially here in ontario so so i i really like this wine i find a delicacy i find it pretty i find there's a floral element to it mm-hmm. uh, i don't find the tannins are are robust in any way shape or form uh it's 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 pretty uh this is you know for lack of a better term it's a, fe- a very feminine kind of wine yes 
um, as opposed to the masculine bruiser. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I really like this. I think it's I think it's lovely. So and that probably speaks uh, volumes to the way that. Uh, the, the gentle extraction during uh, ferment, you know, often our ferments, we, uh, just to give you some kind of perspective and the listeners some perspective, uh, you know, we only produce 1,000 cases of wine annually. That's, you know, 20 tons, uh, which is very little. The average, I think, small winery in Niagara, if you're considered small, you process anywhere between 60 to 100 tons. That's pretty average. So 20 tons, it's, you know, we're, we're a craft winery. We're hovering kind of on that. We're almost too small to be a winery. Yeah. Um, so what's really great about that is we have, we keep all those batches separate. So we often have uh, this year, especially for me, I had many ferments on the go and you know, you, they're, they're, they're not big tanks. So you can get in there and gently hand plunge. You can get in there with your, your feet. If you've got you know, whole bunch fermentation going on and, you know, you can't get with a, you can't get through the cap while you just hop in there with your feet and create those capillaries. And, um, by doing that, it's also, you know, gentle extraction because it's not being, you know, smashed by, uh, a metal plunger or, um, in a lo- some cases now they have automatic punch down. Uh, people don't realize that the foot is actually the perfect thing for, for crushing grapes Yeah. because you don't want to crush the skins. Mm-hmm. I mean, sorry, you don't want to crush the, uh, the, the seeds, the right? seeds. Yeah. And the, the foot is pliable enough where if you step on a seed, your foot just kind of, you know, sucks it in kind of, yeah, um, and guess, makes an indentation and doesn't, and doesn't break it. And when I was working at uh Pearl Morissette, the, uh, there was the winemaker there was Brent Roland at the time. And he taught me that, he told me exactly that that the the foot is naturally the the best tool for this and um if you've got especially with the whole cluster ferments um you, know, you just get in there and point your toe like a ballerina and just turn your foot and slowly get through that cap and what's great is you're not really uh extracting anything all you're doing is getting that that cool juice from the bottom to kind of rise back up Yep. through through those through those capillaries so you know that that to me is really great it's it's gentle it's soft so we're not getting just like a big tannin and you, you can get kind of those refined delicate flavors within pinot that are often missed so you were the first to do foot stomping at um at 16 no no no, no. I, i've i've seen um yeah, well reagan reagan told me she had she's done that and i've seen pictures of her uh in tanks so doing that yeah all right so we're going to end up with uh, with the Civility, the 2015 Chardonnay, and this is another one you said you hadn't tried. Am I correct on that? Uh, yes, I have not tried. Okay, so you have not tried this. No. So this is a Chardonnay. Yeah. So you guys at 16 Mile are mm-hmm. um, are known, as I said, for for Pinots and Chardonnays. So that's that's your that's your yeah. Here. Susan um, loves Chardonnay. She is a, a a complete nut for Chardonnay. So how did Pinot get into that? Well. Um, can't just make Chardonnay, I guess. No. Well, you can, I guess. <laughs> um, no, you can, but I think that it's just the the original idea is to be very Burgundian in the approach. So uh, Pinot and Chard simply just match that, and um, I mean the the winemaking techniques have been in the style, the you know the, the spirit of the Burgundian style winemaking. We use you know neutral French oak. We try to do whole cluster uh, ferments when we have healthy enough clusters. Everything's hand-picked. I mean, uh, yeah, so 
2015 civility. Here I go. Yeah, she, so she's so she's diving in. Maybe I should do the little golf thing here. So she's now got her nose in the glass, and she's swirling the wine. She's giving it another smell. Uh, she's kind of she's in one of those swivel chairs, so she's going back and forth a little bit, putting some thought into it. Smile across the face, always a good sign. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, the ball goes in the cup. So thoughts? I think that's a great wine. That's the kind of Chardonnay I love to drink. Um, it has a beautiful. It has a really nice length that is carried. Um, the finish is carried not by lees, but by structural acidity. I find this a very structured wine. I really like it. Yeah, I like I like the the acidity on this. Uh, I like that there's uh, a quite a bit of fruit, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm not a Chardonnay fan. Uh, many listeners know that I'm not a Chardonnay fan. Andre is the Chardonnay fan. Um, to me, I have tasted too much bad Chardonnay. Yes. Um, and where you used to work in Australia was one of the culprits of bad Chardonnay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, California also, much bad Chardonnay. But this one, I find the acidity helps it. Um, there is kind of a buttery, caramely note that, well, and that, that is in there. Yeah, and that's definitely because that's uh, batonnage with yeah. that. So stirring those barrels. Uh, Reagan would stir the barrels almost once a month during elevage. So that's... A substantial amount of, but you also get that lovely these, peach kind of mm -hmm. peach cobbler note to it. Yeah. Nice appley. Um, there's there's not a heck of a lot of spice, but there's just something in there that that really just kind of grabs the tongue and and makes you really want to dive back in the glass and discover what else is going on here. Mm -hmm. And as you said, something you'd like to sip on, yes. But I I think this is the kind of wine where you sit on through the course of an evening, you're sipping on it, and you'll be talking about other things, maybe chocolate, maybe cheese, maybe cats, maybe whatever you want to talk about. And then suddenly you go, did you just pick up some pineapple? Yeah. And then, you know, that's the kind of thing. And that's that, for me, makes a very interesting wine. It's yeah. It's you want to stop and just want to talk about it, not for the entire evening, but just stop and give a give a little note and somebody will, oh, yeah, I really get that, that note. Yeah, and you can start to pick up, up on different uh, subtleties that weren't maybe recognized at the beginning and as it opens up, it evolves and... Um, I mean, I think that these wines, all, most of the wines that 16 Mile has produced, I'm, they're, they're living, you know. Um, uh, I would say 80% of our wines are unfiltered. Uh, we use very little uh, additives, if not, if any. Um, I mean, bentonite was, er, was used, so that's a, it's a clay, but uh, bentonite would have been the only additive used in the Civility Chardonnay. And it does say, or it doesn't say that... Or, so the 16 tenacity says unfiltered. It doesn't say unfiltered on the 15 civility, but I think it also is unfiltered. That's a lovely, it's a lovely wine. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying your stuff when it come, finally comes I out know. in 2018. We'll have to get you back on the show. Maybe we'll bring Andre in. Maybe we won't. We'll have to figure <laughs> out whether he deserves it or not. Depends because, if he likes chocolate or cheese. Yeah, we should actually check out with Andre whether he likes chocolate or cheese. So welcome back to Ontario. Thanks for, for coming in and uh, sharing some great wines with us. And uh, the, the Pinot Gris is, is quite an interesting wine. Again, we'll, we'll revisit all these, but unfortunately, we've run out of time. So thank you, Morgan, for coming in. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back in Niagara. I'm Michael Pincus with MichaelPincusWineReview.com, the missing... Uh, second guy is uh, Andre Pru of AndreWineReview.ca. With me, my very special guest, Morgan Juniper of... 16 Mile Cellar. Thank you very much, Morgan. Oh, just a quick note. Oh, uh, there's always one of those. Um, 
I noticed that Andre, he's probably a cheese guy. I was just thinking this because I saw on one of his recent posts, he was eating uh, a brick of comté like it was chocolate on the streets of France. So I am very envious of you right yes, now. Yes, that is true. But I think he also went to the city of chocolate. Did he? Yes. Oh, was he in Switzerland? Yes. Uh, he was in the city of chocolate. Uh, he was looking forward to that. We got to talk when he gets back. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.